Welcome to our 2021 series, Talking Heads, the podcast of the University of Melbourne's Department of Nursing. In this series, we celebrate 25 years of nursing at Melbourne, hearing from each head of nursing over the last quarter century, starting with the inaugural head, now Emeritus Professor Judith Parker. We begin this second of our two-parter with Professor Parker, where we left off in podcast one. Surpassing all expectations of the deanery, Judy found herself in the unusual position of being able to ask for whatever she wanted. U21 was one of the first cabs off the rank. Whatever I wanted, he would facilitate. He was joining a group of deans of medicine in a newly established forum, Alan Gilbert formulated it, called U21. And I went to him and said, why does this have to be medicine? Why can't there be nursing too? After all, there are all of these universities that we are linked with through U21. There are nursing schools there that have got master's, PhD programs. He looked at me and said, well, contact all the deans of medicine and go for it. So, of course, I did. And the very first meeting that nursing was at was in Singapore. And the Singapore people were not actually part of U21 at that stage. And they didn't know what to do with us. And they had us sitting up at the back of the room as observers, really. And I was furious. So the next ones after that, we were fully part of and we formed a nursing group with all the various universities around the world. And then Allied Health said, well, we should be part of this. So they set up an Allied Health group and I think it's still going. It was clear at this point in the conversation that Judy Parker has an extraordinary gift in being able to bring together communities and create networks, creating new courses, fostering staff, engaging with existing communities. Just one of those was U21. I wondered how she did this. Well, one of the things Siobhan always said about me was, I don't know whether it was an enthusiastic, it was something like that, but I think I would be so enthusiastic about these ideas I'd sweep the other people along with me because I could see the vision, you could see it happening, whereas Siobhan would always take a more measured approach to things. But Judy's ability to build community branched beyond enthusiasm. I remember once one of the nurses at the Royal Melbourne Hospital said to me later, because when we had the building, the two houses before the Alan Gilbert building. She used to walk down there every morning going to work, probably early, but I'd always be there. I'd get to work very early and stay late. And she said, I see you sitting there when I'm walking down Granton Street and it gives me a sense of security, she said. (laughs) That was lovely. That really touched me. So although it didn't reflect well on my working hours. And Professor Parker also had a dream. See, I had a dream 
of getting research centres around our three major areas because I believed in teaching, research and practice being integrally linked. With acute care, I approached the Department of Health to see if it would fund an evidence-based centre and I got knocked back by the bureaucrats but on an, an International Nurses' Day, which was at St Vincent's Hospital, the minister announced that there would be a centre for evidence-based nursing at the University of Melbourne, what I'd asked for. Well, the bureaucrats were furious because they... He did it in an extemporary way just then. And everyone was shocked, no more than the bureaucrats. And of course, the problem then was they didn't want it particularly and they didn't want it at Melbourne. And so eventually, maybe the minister moved on, I can't remember, the funding ceased. Um, But recognised Tracy Bucknell, she set it up and it got going and it was going well. And one of the people who became involved was Linda Johnson. And I can't remember if this was after Tracy left or not, but we no longer had the funding for it as a centre. But Linda did magnificent work in um, evidence-based practice and she had excellent students at the Royal Children's Hospital who did PhDs around it and she did a lot of work in the healthcare agencies working with staff around evidence-based practice. That was at the children's and I realised we wouldn't be able to set up our own research centre at the children's or with the children's because they had the Murdoch and that's where the money was. So if you wanted to do research at the kids, you are better to go through the Murdoch. So in the end, the evidence-based practice centre sort of fell over. My dream of having our own one for paediatrics, well, it, it did go ahead in the sense, but it was through Murdoch, which was better because it was more interdisciplinary. And I was also recognising you don't want nursing research centres, you need interdisciplinary research. There's really no such thing as nursing research. There's research that nurses do and the things that interest them no doubt stem from both their training and their experience in nursing. So the research that interests nursing or nurses is slightly different from the research that interests medicos or physios or others. But I wouldn't call it nursing research. I'd call it research that nurses do. After eight years, Judy left Melbourne University as head of the School of Nursing. But then, at the age of 68... Judy was continuing to nurture and create robust nursing communities internationally. When I left, I knew I just couldn't do it anymore. My brain space wasn't there, but I also knew, and this is actually very important, I knew 
I'd been as if I was on an adrenaline high for eight years because it was so stimulating, your brain is going in all directions and I thought I've got to go but I've got to come down from this high, this hyperactivity actually. So Sophia, the head of nursing in Hong Kong, offered me to go up to do a one-year, I forget what the title was, but it was a sort of visiting professor. So I finished at Melbourne on the Friday and I was in Hong Kong on the Monday. I think I was just too frightened of... I should have taken a break probably, I should have had a holiday, but I thought if I'm a visiting professor, I will have no power, which is good, so I can learn to divest myself of the power and authority of being ahead, because that gets into you and you've got to divest yourself of it. And we know a lot of people, politicians especially, who get kicked out, Mm. find that very difficult. And I knew it would be difficult, so I thought, I'll do that in in this environment where I can give that, a, slowly give it away. At the same time, I'm still doing useful work. I rewrote their undergraduate curriculum. I wrote things for all the accreditations that were going on. I taught courses. I supervised students, you know. But it was lovely. That 18 months was very good for me because for the first time in my professional life, I really learned about undergraduate nursing. But this wasn't precisely true. Judy had been involved in establishing the Shepparton Nursing Undergraduate. There was set up this School of Rural Health at Shepparton. And so we became linked to Shepparton and we already had uh, a rural critical care going from there and Shepparton and Wangaratta and they desperately wanted an undergraduate program so we developed a program which was an upgrading course for enrolled nurses or from scratch in Shepparton and Melbourne but then Shepparton took too much out of everyone And in the end, the faculty decided that we should move out of it. And then Latrobe moved in and there ever since, which has been fine. So, shall I say, looking on those seven and a half years, the first five years were amazing and fantastic, but I knew that it was a bit of a bubble and I didn't know what was going to happen underneath. And I knew the only real basis was to have an entry to practice program. That was a significant challenge. I wondered at that point, what was Professor Parker's proudest achievement in the seven and a half years? All my achievements, I've always felt this, your achievements are demonstrated through the people you support and nurture. That's what real achievement is about. And I've always felt that. That's why I supported them so much. 
And I've never understood people who feel threatened by having the best and the brightest around them. I just cannot understand it. I really can't. Each in their own way is light years ahead of me, each in a different way. In part one of our conversation, Professor Parker spoke about putting the nursing profession first. And I couldn't help but think about how much impact she'd had on nursing locally, nationally and internationally, and reaching so many through the people and connections she'd fostered. Siobhan was offered Professor and Head of Nursing at Toronto, one of the most prestigious nursing schools in the world, which I regard as my achievement, of course. Siobhan, bless her, what would I say, took Linda to Toronto when she was appointed one of the associate uh, vice-chancellors. What Linda did was apply for a job at Queen's University in Belfast and she was appointed head there and she did a fantastic job there. We then spoke about pedagogy and I asked, what did you want to have those nurses you graduated to do? I think a thing I've always wanted and I wanted at Latrobe was to shake them out of routine thinking. Um, I mean, I've written about routine thinking. Nurses need to proceed as if this is the way it is. This is the routine, you follow it. But you've got to take that reflective step back and think about what you're doing in a routine way. And that's always been the underpinning of my desire in nursing education because some hospital-based nurses were really trained in a, in a way not to think, just to follow the rules and act, and, you know, rituals, yeah. routines, recipes. You know, that's the way you worked in nursing. And I wanted to shake them out of that. And I think that's why people at La Trobe liked my sociological approach, because it was to say hey, look at this a different way. And I have to tell you, all this stuff about reflective practice gives me the irrits because what is reflective practice? You can't just suddenly reflect. You've got to reflect from a space, from there upon this. And, of course, that's what a good education will give you, a really good critical education gives you the capacity to think now does it have to be like this or why is it so why are we doing this stop a minute why are we doing this that is what I've always wanted one thing that Professor Parker and I have in common is a love of sociology and embodiment theories and I assumed that she also had a special interest in mental health and well-being. 
I'm very, very interested because I've never, ever, ever understood why in nursing we have physical health and we have mental health and it seems like the twain shall never meet and I have never, ever understood it. You gave the example of anorexia nervosa. Now, is there a condition which links body and mind more together than that? I just think it's ridiculous. And mental health nurses in the past appeared to take no interest in physical stuff. Well, they weren't trained to. And certainly... Uh, registered nurses who were not mental health nurses had little or no interest in mental health. So, and I've never, ever understood it. I blamed Descartes, actually. (laughs) We're finishing up every Talking Head podcast with the following questions. How did you end up doing nursing? Or how did you decide to do nursing? What advice would you give to someone considering nursing as a career? Or what advice would you give to a recent nursing graduate? How did you end up doing nursing? Um, Because you could move away from home, you got paid, and I'd read a book about nursing. Um, It was written by Charles Dickens' great-granddaughter. It was a very ordinary book, but she became a nurse. And it was about just the everyday stuff of nursing. And gosh, it excited me. I I saw freedom in it, actually. I saw you could... You'd move around, you'd meet different people, you'd be there beside them moments of great importance. So I became enthusiastic, passionate about nursing. I left school at year 11. I wanted to do year 12, but my parents couldn't afford it. The year between year 11 and year 12, before I could start nursing, I did a pre-nursing course to work in the kindergarten and in the school holidays when the kindergartens were shut to go work in a creche and we went to the health department and did lectures on child development anyway i did that course and i got a small salary i didn't like working in the kindergarten i got i was very bored there and i think it's because i didn't understand any of the theory about yeah looking after kids and it was just like childminding to me and I got bored but I went to school every week while we did all these courses on child development and all the rest of it and then I started nursing at the Royal Melbourne Hospital School of Nursing no Melbourne School of Nursing when I started Before I finished it, it had become the Royal Melbourne Hospital and Associated Schools of Nursing. I started at the Queen Vic, which was then on Lonsdale Street. It was the most amazing experience in my life. The reason I started at Queen Vic, you had to be 18 before you could go to the Royal Melbourne because you might nurse men. And I have to tell you, at 17 and a half, the things I had to deal with with women 
have haunted me all my life. Really? Well, in those days, you know, the gynaecological surgery, mm. doing dressings on women who'd had the most ghastly vaginal surgery or labia removed and cancerous labia and all that sort of stuff. It was terrible. And then I was in the emergency department, such as it was, and here was I, not 18, working on night duty in the emergency department all on my own, and someone would come in and say, look, nurse, what I passed in the toilet with a little fetus there. These are pretty big experiences to throw on a 17-and-a-half-year-old. Um, lots of things happened in the emergency department. Then I was asked, would I care to go to special clinic? And being stupid and not asking questions, I said, oh, yes, enthusiast, I'll go. Bronwyn, I was there a week before I fully understood while we were double-gloving and double-gowning. Of course, it was an STD clinic, and that was equally confronting. You know, they used to uh, talk about Fanny by Terry Light <laughs> because that was your view of the women. <laughs> I can tell you. So that was pretty confronting. I mean, the School of Nursing was great with all the theory, but it didn't match the theory with your clinical placement. So, of course, I was there long before I had any gynae, any understanding of what was going on there. And then I went to the Royal Melbourne Hospital and that was so easy <laughs> by comparison. I mean, it was ridiculous. I went to the women's as well. I think I was in third year at women's because I did theatre at women's. I always wanted to write about, and I suppose that's my sociological, anthropological background, a comparative analysis of the Royal Women's and Queen Vic. They were so different. Queen Victoria was pro-femina a feminis, for women by women, and the only males in the place were the male babies born there. Every staff member when I was there was a woman. The CEO was a woman, the cleaners were women, everyone was a woman. I went to the women's and of course the doctors would do the round. While it was hard for me at the Queen Vic because of my immaturity, people were treated with respect. So I didn't ever like the Royal Women's for that reason. So that was why I started nursing and that was how I did it. Although leaving school after year 11, having completed her nursing training, Judy continued her pursuit of knowledge, ultimately opening doors that were previously unavailable. I had this desire for education even before I decided to go to university. While I was doing my staff nurse years, I did my matric my year 12. So one year I did English expression and English literature and the next year I did modern history and it not to matric Italian in one year and got honours in everything and then of course that opened up more thoughts about what I might do. So I was a keen student, you can tell that, yeah. and I was a frustrated student. 
Um, so I think then the desire, but then I wanted babies. <laughs> so I had all my babies, but then I wanted education. So that's the story. What advice would you give to someone considering nursing as a career? Well, if it was someone thinking about doing nursing, I'd point out all the opportunities that are available because I still think nursing is one of the most exciting careers you can have because you can do anything. And to this day still, even if you're home-minding kids, you can still do some night shifts here, you can do weekends, which is what I did. I think it's incredibly flexible. You can take it where you want it. You can be a clinical nurse with your degree, you can choose a specialty. The opportunities are endless. It's up to you to decide what you want. That's the advice I'd give. It's about opportunities and opening. What advice would you give to a recent nursing graduate? To a registered nurse, a recently registered nurse, I'd advise them to consolidate their experience for a couple of years, see what they think about it, and again, either stay there or think about postgraduate education. We thank Professor Parker for her insights into 25 years of nursing at the University of Melbourne. In our next Talking Heads podcast, we speak with Professor Siobhan Nelson, 2005-2013 Dean and Professor at the Lawrence S. Bloomberg Faculty of Nursing at the University of Toronto. 2014-2018 to Vice Provost, Faculty in Academic Life. 2013-2018 Vice Provost for Academic Programs at the University of Toronto. And of course, the 2004-2005 to Head of School of Nursing, University of Melbourne. Until next time. Music